Folks, a minute. All right, because I had to switch on you. Good pickup. All right. I'll be coming from First uh, John, second chapter, verses three through six. It reads as follows: By this we know that we have come to know Him, if we keep His commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Let us pray. Father God, we come before you now, and Lord, we just ask that you continue to be in the midst of your people. And as always, Father, I ask that you let them hear from on high. Let them hear your words and not mine. Let them be edified by your message and not my own. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Amen. We're still coming from 1 John. Still coming from 1 John, but I would like to take a quick detour, if I can, and, um, and lay out a few examples from the Old Testament. The title of this message today is a long title. It's a long title. But I said I couldn't find a better title. And the title is, is this, 
either we don't know him or don't know him enough to matter. Either we don't know him or don't know him enough to matter. Let that sink in for a moment. Either we don't know him or don't know him enough to matter. As I stated, I would like to begin with paraphrasing two stories from the Old Testament, both involving Saul, King Saul, and Samuel. And the bottom line of each story bears an interesting connection to today's text. In the first story from 1 Samuel 13, we are told that Saul selected 3,000 men to be his soldiers. And he kept 2,000 to himself close by. And then he gave his son Jonathan 1,000. Well, one day, Jonathan battled the Philistines, and he defeated them. Jonathan battled the Philistines and defeated them. However, Saul afterwards had ram horns blown throughout the land to tell everyone that he defeated the Philistines. And as a result, Israel became a big pain in the neck to the Philistines. So the Philistines basically gathered a massive army to do something about it, right? And this big army scared Israel, scared Israel so much so that men from Israel began leaving the army and leaving the country, right? And they, they also were hiding in caves and everything else because they saw this massive army of the Philistines gathering. They saw that they were in a tight spot, right? And they, had, they didn't want anything to do with it. But what ends up happening is, um, is that Saul was scared too. He saw that uh, this big army was gathering. And when Saul saw that, uh, he was losing troops. He did not wait on Samuel, the priest, to come to offer up an offering, a sacrifice. Saul's emotions got the best of him. They got the best of him, so he ended up offering up the sacrifice. And as soon as he was finishing up, offering up the sacrifice, wrapping up, all of a sudden, who he sees coming? Samuel. And when he sees Samuel, Samuel said, what? Foolishness have you done? And Saul offered an explanation. Saul said, well, since you didn't come on time, like you said, right? And the Philistines, the army was huge, and it was gathering, and I started losing men. I had to force myself to offer up the sacrifice. It goes to show either we don't know him or don't know him enough to matter. The next example comes from 1 Samuel, the 15th chapter, 
when the nation of Israel, just a bit of history, when the nation of Israel was exiting Egypt and they were traveling through the land, the Amalekites did not treat them kindly. Matter of fact, they got into it with the Amalekites, and the Amalekites were just, uh, uh, just, just doing ill stuff towards them. Well, now God said, I'm going to deal with them. So he told Saul, he told Samuel to tell Saul, hey, it's time to go get them. I want you to wipe them out. Wipe them out. Wipe them out. So Samuel said, okay. I mean, I mean, Saul said, okay, and he goes and he fights against the Amalekites and, and, and he wins. He defeats them. But he didn't wipe them out completely. He ends up bringing back King Agag and he brings back the choice sheep and oxen. So then all of a sudden, here comes Samuel again. And Saul eagerly comes and, and says to, to, to Samuel, I did what God told me to do. And Samuel said, then why do I hear sheep <laughs> bleeding and, and, and oxen you know, lowing? Why, why do I hear sheep then? Well, let me, let me explain, right? Saul says, see, what happened was, <laughs> right? See, 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 the men wanted to gather some of the spoil. And so we, you know, it didn't make sense to like kill all those good sheep and those oxen. So, you know, so we, we you know, we've gathered them back. So we've gathered them back so we can sacrifice them to God. That's what we did, right? And, and, and listen to Samuel's reply to Saul. Obedience is better than sacrifice. See, Saul's emotions in the first, in the first story got the best of him, right? Now his reasoning got the best of him, right? What he thought made sense got the best of him. And it goes to show once again, either we don't know him or don't know him enough to matter. As we previously stated in, in 1 John, the Apostle John was taking the stand against a budding form of Gnosticism, right? This group, this Gnostic group, was going around basically saying how they had the knowledge, they possessed knowledge, they knew, they know, right? They, they had the true knowledge. But the interesting thing is Barclay, I was reading him this week, and he said this, he said, in the ancient world, there were three ways to know, to know. The first is when they reached back and go to ancient Greek and, 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 and picked up on the way they thought. See, knowledge was king to the ancient Greek. Knowledge, that's the way you get into the know, is, is knowledge. So, so therefore, to know God was through the intellect, right? But during the time that John wrote this letter, 
what was huge at this time wasn't knowledge being king, but more so emotions being king, right? Emotions. It wasn't about, it wasn't about knowing God. It was about feeling God, feeling him. And check out what they did back in the day, and it, because you read the material in ancient times. Check out what they did. What they did is they, 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 they kind of stirred you up in a frenzy. Ooh, God, you know God. Ooh, God, 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 God. And they, 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 they stirred you up. And then, and then all of a sudden they say, come out to this place. And when they came out to, you go out to this place, they had the candles at a certain level of lighting, right? And then they had some music in the background, just softly playing, and, and all of a sudden the music would, would, would kind of increase or decrease depending on, you know, ooh, God, 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 God. And then all of a sudden it's emotions, and, and emotion, and emotion, and all of a sudden you were like on this religious drug, and you was like, oh, oh, and you was like, oh, I know God, and God knows me. Sounds familiar? Same thing goes on today where you go into places and they have the lighting just right and the music stirring to, to get your emotions all settled and then you get this emotional connection, right? And that was their way of, of knowing God. That was the second way of knowing God. So intellect and then it was emotion. But then there was the Jewish slash Christian way of knowing and this was knowing God by what God revealed of himself to us. And this also led to obedience. So, so this was God revealing himself to us. And that's how we get to know him. So knowing God was not about pulling a saw and connecting with your emotions. Knowing God was not pulling a saw and then all of a sudden going and relying on your reasoning, right? Knowing God is not subjective like that. And what I mean is that I'm, I'm, I'm in no way trying to totally dismiss emotions or thinking. But what I'm saying is if we place those things before the objective truth of God's word, we're putting the cart before the horse. We're majoring on minors. It's the objective truth of God. When you look into that word of God and it tells you about you, not what you think about you and not what you feel about you, but it's looking into that objective truth of God and allowing that to judge you. Amen? See, see most of us go around with this, this subjective existence. And, and I thought about a cul-de-sac. I live on a cul-de-sac. And, and a cul-de-sac is interesting. And I said, wow, it's, it's like we have cul-de-sac Christianity. Or Christians that I can call cul-de-sac Christians. 
Because what they do is they put, they, they, they put in what they think and what they feel, and they go in one way, and they go down this road, and then they travel for a minute, but all of a sudden they hit a loop, and they keep going back to where they, went, where they were before. It's just like just looping around and around and around. Because, see, what you're doing is you're putting in what you think you should do. Never really experiencing true victory because what it is is what you think ought to be done and how you feel things ought to be. So you just put it in and you're going through this one road and, and, and it feels like you're making some progress for a moment. But then all of a sudden you hit a loop. And then it spits you out exactly where you started. But see, when you deal with the objective truth of God, all of a sudden you're on that road to glory. And all of a sudden each day you travel, you notice that you're going higher and higher. And it's no going back. You're better for obeying. You're better for living for him. And that's how it is through the objective truth of God. Are you following me? So, so what basically today's test, remember I told you First John were, was about test. So today's test is about the test of obedience. The test of obedience. Are you, are you, do you know God? If you know God, then you will obey him. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You, you will obey. So therefore, we know that we are in Christ when we obey what we learn, love what we obey, and live what we obey. That's what these three verses, these four verses are telling us, that obeying or knowing, knowing that we are in Christ means that we obey what we learn, and then all of a sudden we get to another level where we love what we obey. And then it doesn't stop there. We get to a next level when we begin to live what we obey. Isn't that interesting? Because that's what he was laying out to us. So obey what we learn. Verse 3, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Throughout 1 John, we see the word know. Remember I told you to read it, and if you read it, you'll see, you'll come across the word know 40 times. About 40 times in John. If you read it and highlight it, you'll see 40 dots, you ought to see 40 dots that's, that, 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 that's underlining or shading the word no. And no is a verb with various nuances, but with two main, two main definitions. So, so the first definition of no, when you come across it sometimes in 1 John, it means be sure that we know or, or know it to be the case. That's what that word, sometimes when you run into John, it means that we know it to be the case. 
But then at other times when you run into the word know in John, it means that we know as a fact. So sometimes it's we know it to be the case. Then at other times, we know it as a fact. So throughout this letter, the apostle uses both. But in verse 3, what he uses is we know it to be the case. Because like I said, this is a test. And we know it to be the case that you're in Christ, that you're a Christian, if you obey. The word commandments, you know that's familiar if you, if you read through the Bible at all. You know that commandment, the word commandment is, is used exhaustively in the Old Testament. is used sparingly in the, in the New, right? And, and, and the word means follow what is written. Follow what is written. And it, and it places emphasis not on the reason behind why it was written, but it's the emphasis is on who wrote it. Who wrote it? And, and it reflects the author's will. So if that commandment is reflecting the author's will, then guess what the reader has to decide? Will it be my will or his will? When you go and you sit before that word of God, will it be your will or will it be his will? Time and time again, as you read his word, you have to make the decision, will it be your will or will it be his will? With the nation of Israel and with us, his commandments had a, like I said, a, a revelatory, right? A revelatory function. It revealed something about him because the end goal was your holiness. It's about you being more like him. So if it's about you being more like him, then it's about a lifestyle. It's about a pattern. Amen? So, so it ain't about an episode of obeying God. It's about a series and a, and a pattern of obedience. It's not about a note, but it's, it's about does, does, does the song of your life sing his praise. Not, not about a note, just a single bing, I went to church. Bing, I gave to the poor. No, it's, it's, it's it does the song of your life. Is it a praise, a hymn of praise to God? Amen. And, and, and it's not about a scene, right? But if folks grabbed some popcorn and checked out the movie of your life, will it be a life in a movie of obedience? Or will they stop eating and say, whoa, I didn't know he... <laughs> I didn't know he talked like that. <laughs> oh, okay. Whoa, I didn't know... He... Man, he's not doing well at all. And the movie becomes a horror story, 
right? See, so it's, it's not about a scene, but it's a movie. It's not about a note. It's like a, a, a song of praise, right? And, and it's not about an acquaintance. It's about a relationship with him, right? It's not about an awareness of God, but it's about knowing God. This is what John is talking about. Don't, don't, don't give me like one good deed. No, no, does, does your life show that you're living? Is it a pattern? Is it consistent? Are you obeying his commandments? John gives us a, a, a negative example in verse four. He says, the one who, and, and notice the one who, he says that phrase, the one who. That's just like they, we use they. Well, they say, who is they, right? Who's they? Well, uh, uh, the one who says, and there's some who says this, right? Like the Gnostics would say, I have come to know him. But listen to this. And does not keep his commandments. John doesn't beat around the bush. He says, you're a liar. If your life is not a song, a, a hymn of praise to God, right? And, and if it's not, if it's not a, a, a movie about how good God is to someone, if, if it's about an acquaintance rather than a relationship, then, then, then you're a lie. You're a liar. That's what he's saying. You're, you're a liar. And then he says, let me throw some mustard and ketchup on it. And the truth is not in him. And the truth is not in him. See, a, a person's words must be tested by his works. A person's word, words must be tested by his works. Do your conduct contradict your profession? Do you live a that's what your mouth say type of Christianity? Because your conduct has got to match your words. Amen? <clears throat> it's got to match your words. I like how words be put it, and, and I read him this week, and he says, a child goes through development of obedience, and he goes through st three stages, hopefully three stages. The first stage is have to, then the next stage is need to, and hopefully they hit that third stage, want to, right? See, first they go through that have to obey stage because if they don't, they have to because if they don't, did not tell you not to, they have to obey. They have to obey. But then they get to a stage of need to. And that need to is because they understand that there are privileges. And, and if they have these privileges, and, and if they want these privileges, then they need to obey. It's just like your job. Like, you don't, you, you don't like your job. Some of us do not like our jobs. But we need that paycheck, don't we? 
we need that paycheck. So it's a need to thing, right? And that's what that stage is. So it, it shifts from have to to need to. And then hopefully it gets to that, that want to stay because they love their parents so much that they want to please their parents. And you know what? It ain't about a, a reward or anything like that. I just love you so much, Daddy. And I love you so much, Mommy, that I just want to please you. And I just want to do, I just want to please you right now. Right? I just want to obey you. I just, I woke up this morning and I just want to obey you because I love you. We hope that it gets to that stage, right? <laughs> One day, right? But this is what John was talking about. If you're talking about having to, having to obey the commandments and what you learn, right? Because starting off, you understand that, you know, I got to get into this word, I got to learn. And then all of a sudden, what it becomes is a need to. You, you become like Jeremiah, Jeremiah in the 15th chapter, in 16th verse, he says, your words are found and I ate them and your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. You hear that? That's not a have to, that's like, I, I want to. That, that's like getting to that I want to, right? It, it's like I need to right now. For I have been called by your name, O Lord of hosts. And then it got to, from, from that have to, to that, to that, to that, to that uh, uh, need to, it gets to that, to that want to. We begin to love what we obey. In the fifth verse it says, but whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. So at this point, we begin to, to love what we obey. Job said it, and he put it in good context. He, he says this in, in Job 23 and 12. I have not departed from the command of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. You hear that? Imagine putting the word of God on the same level as your favorite dish. Every day you say, man, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. And you're looking for something to eat. You go out of your way to find something good to eat. It's interesting because we'll pass McDonald's. We'll pass Burger King. Nah. I want waffles. No, 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 no. I want something even more than that. I want, I want steak. No, no, no. Chick-fil-A. Where Chick-fil-A at? <laughs> That's what I'm going. And you're going miles and miles to go to that Chick-fil-A. See, and just imagine if you, you, you're in that deep of a search in God's word. And you're just like, man, I got This is like more than my necessary food. I got I, I need this, right? I need this. That have to becomes a need to, right? 
And John, he notice how he switches. He, he switches here and he changes it. He says, remember in the first part, he says, if we keep his commandments, right, in verse 3. But then he says, whoever keeps his word. See, all of a sudden it doesn't become like this commandment thing. It becomes like, man, his word is good. And I need it. His word is good and I, and I need it. I need it. Right? Now, now, there is debate on, and I read a lot of, of angles on, on the, the phrase, the love of God. They, they say that it could mean uh, a love like God's. Or it could mean our love for God. Or it could mean God's love for us. Most of the writers that I read, it, they rested on the last one. They said what it means is God's love for us. But the more I read, all three sound good. All three sound good to me. Uh, a, a love like God's, our love for God, and, and his love for us. Amen? And, and, and they all sound good. The, now, now, remember this, too, when you read this verse. The only time the world ever witnessed perfect excellence and obedience was through Christ. None of you will hit that mark. I won't hit that mark. So, so Paul wasn't talking about us perfectly obeying. God here, right? You know, it's just like Donnie McClurkin said, we fall down, but we get up, right? So it wasn't about a, per, a perfect obedience here, but, but, but what he wanted to do is put you in the mind frame once again of climbing higher and higher because it was about a maturity here, a maturation that is taking place. You're, you're, you, you won't be the same as you continue to go on and go on and deeper and deeper into his word. Do you think that you can read his word and get to know his word and chew it and eat it and everything else, and then all of a sudden you leave the same? Oh, my goodness, no, because if you really understand and he reveals to you the truth, all of a sudden what you want to do is you want to eat more and more and more and more. You know, you know you got to go pick up the kids, but I just want to read this last chapter. You ever get to that point? They'll be all right, right? Right? So it started from a have to, which is obeying what we learn. That's his commandments. Then it shifts to a need to. That's loving what we obey. That's his word. And then all of a sudden it gets to a wanting to. That's when we begin to truly live what we obey. Live what we obey. And that's verse 6. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. So those who are preoccupied with emotional experiences or religious highs, you know, when they come back down from them, most of them, if they're just concentrating on that emotional high and they come back down to day-to-day -day life, 
All of a sudden, they find the, 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 the Christian life hard to live because they keep chasing that emotional high. Just like a drug addict, you know, they keep chasing that, that, that high. They got to have that, 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 that experience, right? And they struggle with the Christian life. And those who, who are preoccupied with intense intellectual satisfaction, one writer said they reduce Christianity to an intense mental activity, just like math. That's what they reduce Christianity to, right? And they also struggle with living a Christian life because it's head knowledge that never becomes heart knowledge, right? And matter of fact, what's interesting is that they spend time trying to know, and they miss it. They miss it all together. They, they end up trying to get emotionally there, and they, and they miss it. Do you know that most of the, the great philosophers and everything else, when you read about their life, they, love, they, they, they led horrible, moral lives. Horrible, moral lives. I mean, their lives morally was like just... They weren't great people. They had all of this head knowledge, but they were like not good people. They weren't good people. See, when it came down to living the life, they didn't do it. But, but when it is the case that you know you are on the road to glory, and you know that you're maturing in your walk with Christ, that's when you move from the have to, to the need to, to the want to. And you begin to love him more and more. And guess what you want to be? You want to be like him. You want to be more like him. And, and you begin to, to, to see that, that Galatians verse that we always quote, that 2 and 20, it's like, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And, and the life which I now live in this flesh, by faith in the Son of God, I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. See, what this is saying is that when you know, let me tell you how you can know that you're in him, right? It is when you get to this point of having to, needing to, to wanting to, to wanting to. When, when you get into the point of where you obey what you learn, and then you love what you obey, and then you begin to live what you obey. See, see, in other words, what I'm telling you is that you get to a point where you couldn't live wrong if you tried. You couldn't live wrong even if you tried. If you if you are God, if you're God's and 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 you're truly God's, you can you can try to make a decision, you know what? I'm gonna go out there and Party like it's 
and I'm going to do what I feel and do. I'm going to go out there. And all of a sudden, you up there with your, you know, in a bad crowd, in a bad moment and everything else, and you're like, dog, I'm not dressed right. I don't feel right. I don't, what's this? And it's like, you can't, you can't do it. Because you're his. Because you're his. And, and, and that's the assurance. You can't go back to what you used to. You can't. You're different now. You, you changed. You've changed. You, that, you don't have an appetite for that anymore. The things I used to do, I don't do anymore. You know, it's like that old song. I, I looked at my hands. And they look new. I looked at my feet, and they did too. I'm, I'm a different person right now. I got a different attitude. I got a, I got a different perspective on life. I, I, got, I got a different appetite. I, those things that I used to do, I don't do anymore. They don't satisfy me anymore. That's how I know I'm his, and I know he's mine. Because I can't live that way any more. I love obeying him. I love understanding what he's all about. I love his mind. And I love the mind of God. And I like to dig into it and get to know what he's about. Because the more I know him, the more I begin to know even myself. And I'm just loving this relationship. And I'm growing every day. And I begin to look at you differently. I begin to treat you differently. And folks say I'm not the same. Everybody says I'm not the same. Because I know Jesus. That's how you know him. Through obeying him. Through obeying him. And just I'll end with this just to give you a little uh, hint to, to next week's. You know, I was reading on the word sincere. And if you, sp if you split that word, it's sin, S-I-N, and seer, right? C-E-R-E. -E. And that word has a background where it meant without wax. Without wax. In the old days when artists used to make their sculptures and everything else, and they used to chip away. Well, they chipped away, and all of a sudden, they had oopsies. Oops, dog. They would get some wax, and they would put it on, on that oops, right? They would put it on that oops, and then they would display it out there with the wax. And that's what we do as Christians sometimes. Right? We try to hide our flaws and say, oops, oh no, I don't want them to see, oh, I don't want them to, I don't want them to see that. More wax, more wax, I don't want them to see that, right? But, but to live a life without wax. Hey, hey, brother, this, it's me and my flaws. It's me and my flaws. I'm not trying to to, 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 to be fake. I'm not trying to, to be like I got it all together. See, the victory is in sincerity. 
I'm being sincere right now. I don't have it all together. But you know what? I'm working on loving you. And I want you to work on loving me. Because I'm, I'm, I'm presenting myself without wax. Without wax. The victory is in sincerity. So, so how to be sure about your salvation? How to know that you're in him? Well, John says, pass the test. Are you obeying? Are you obedient? And, and, and what he meant by that is, are, are, you, are you obeying what you learn? And then are you loving what you obey? And then all of a sudden, are you translating it into a life where it's not a note, but it's a song, a hymn of praise to God who brought you out? Amen? Choose ye this day who you will serve. I pray if you don't know God for yourself, that you will get to know him today so that you will, lose, that you will choose this life of obedience. This life of obedience. Don't be a, a cul-de-sac Christian. <laughs> you know, one that you're just putting in what you think, what you feel is right. And then all of a sudden you, you hit this loop and then you spit out right back where you started. Never really experiencing the true victory of Christianity. Because you're putting in what you think. No, it's not subjective like that. It's objective. It's like getting into this mirror called the Word of God and letting it strip you. Letting it kill you. Letting it kill you in a sense, to where you become more like him. That's the life we strive for. And if you have a desire to live like that, and that's how you've been trying to live, that's your assurance right there. <laughs> you're his. Because you're trying every day to get better and better and better and get, and, and get more like him. However, if, if, if that, that life of yours is only hitting notes here and there, <laughs> and the majority of it is a song like, you know, singing another song, then I say, I say switch, it, switch, switch dancing partners. Come to Jesus. Choose ye this day who you will serve. Because the most important question with eternal implications is what will you do with Christ? What will you do with Jesus? Will you reject him or will you serve him? Because living a life like this of obedience means that he's not only someone that you believe in, but he's your Lord. He's not only your Savior, but a, life of, of, but a life of obedience means that he's your Lord. He's in charge. Choose you this day. God bless you.
And if you do so choose, we'll have uh, elders here. If you want to pray, if you want to go over the plan of salvation, they will be available to you after dismissal. And those who are out on Zoom, uh, our contact information will be readily available. Thank you. Thank you.